0: Mountain. It's good to see everybody. Hope you're having a good summer so far. And uh, I know some of you guys are still in school. Sorry about that. Uh, but it's coming eventually. You'll get a break. Hey, we're, we're uh, it's several weeks in now to this series we're calling Love Handles. Love Handles being those, you know, little uh, undesirable pieces of flab under that we try to hide under our shirts. Reminders that we all have these imperfections in life, not just physically, but in so many ways. And that's what makes relationships so interesting and challenging, is that it's a bunch of imperfect people like us trying to to connect with other people who are equally imperfect. And uh, so we've been going to God's Word to say, how do we get a handle on some of these relationships? We've looked at a lot of things so far, everything from motherhood to kids to uh, uh, sex and dating, singleness, uh, uh, marriage, divorce. Today we're going to look at friendship and try to get a handle on some things that relate to just friendship, something that I think relates to everybody, and I hope it would. But, you know, one of the reasons that friendship is important to talk about is because God is a relational being, okay, just by nature. That's who God is, Father, Son, Spirit, in this kind of eternal, pre-existent relationship with god's self and this is the god then who then creates you and me in god's image so no wonder that you and i have hardwired into us this kind of propensity desire proclivity toward relationship it's because we're created in god's image and and it's just why we are never really fully alive never fully human always at sort of At odds with ourselves if we're not in connection meaningfully in a relational way with God and with other people. God made us to be a friend and to be friends. When God held up the human being, He said, Not good for this one to be alone. We're meant to be connected with others in relationship. And yet, so we've got this draw toward God and toward other people, right, relationally, but every one of us also feels something else at work because we live on this side of the problem with the world, the sin coming into the world and the brokenness that we all experience. So all the hurt that's come into our lives and so forth also makes us very gun-shy toward these very things that we long for. Isn't that true? We crave intimacy, but at the same time, we're terrified of it. And that's the human condition right there, isn't it? We long to be close to people, and yet we are uh, afraid of it uh, or, or bad at it uh, and unsure about it. And this is why uh, we sometimes need some help. So, so let's get a grip on, on some of this stuff. Well, how, do you, how do you do friendship You know, when there's so many love handles all around on this? So a lot of ways we could go with this today. I just want to share with you one thing. that, that this, this is something if you're taking notes, this is what you start with right here. Okay? You show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Is this true? It's true. You show me your friends, I will show you your future. Show me who's in your circle of influential people in your world, who you spend time with, hang out with, and I'll, I'll be able to tell you a lot about the trajectory that your life is on. I think this is what the Bible is getting at. In Proverbs, there's so much on friendship in the book of Proverbs. But Proverbs 13.20 uh, kind of says it just flat out this way. Walk with the wise. Now wise doesn't mean intelligent or, 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 or super smart academically. It means they get how life works, they fear God, and they live out His ways that make sense in the world. You walk with people like that and you yourself will become wise. However, the flip side is also true. A companion of fools suffers harm hang out with the wrong crowd it'll get you in trouble is that not true you you hang out with people who have good marriages and who work hard and who love the lord with all of their heart and are striving to you know you know uh, do the right stuff you're going to tend to find yourself rising to that level isn't that true if you hang out with people who have low values they're bitter they're cynical they have a jaded view of reality they're they're sharks they have They're compassionless. They live cutthroat lives or they're just idiots or they're party thangs or whatever. (laughs) Okay? You're going to find yourself being brought down to where they are. People who are going nowhere are more than happy to take you along. Okay? That's just the way it works. Show me your friends. I'll show you your future. Okay? So here's what I'm going to ask you to do just for a minute here now. Um this is one of those activities, I really want you to do this. Some of you are like, oh, this is a hypothetically he's asking me to do it. No, no, I'm really asking you to do it. I'd like you to write down a list right now. If you have a phone or something to write it on or a, grab the pad in front of you or the little bulletin or something, just to write down a list. I'd like you to actually write down a, a list of your closest friends. So go ahead and get something out. Humor me. Act like you're doing something at least to fake me out, okay? So, uh, but, but write down a list of your closest friends. Okay, now if you need to just write initials or draw a little picture so the person next to you isn't offended that they're not on the list, that's fine. But just go ahead and really try to take this seriously here. And these are your close friends now. These are real friends, good friends, not just people you're acquaintances, but people you could call at 2 a.m., someone you could ask for a ride to the airport on a beautiful Saturday morning. You know, these kind of good friends, they know you, you know them. Okay, pretty well. As you're doing that, writing that list, that's going to be important for us, um, let me just share with you a principle that I learned about this week that sociologists have been talking about for years and I'll just kind of summarize it in layman's terms. Here it is. You and I, you are the average of your five closest friends. Okay, and that's kind of a simple way to say it, but it's, you're the average in almost every area of your life. You look at your life in a lot of different areas now. Um, you'll probably find yourself somewhere kind of in the middle-ish or average-ish uh, of your five closest friends. See if it's true for you as you're continuing to rate your list. Chances are financially... Um, you're probably somewhere in the middle. You probably don't make the most money. You probably don't make the least. You're somewhere maybe in the middle of the pack of the five people that you tend to run with. Okay? Or maybe if you're a partier. Okay? If you were stoned last night, chances are two or three of your friends were too. All right? And stop acting like some of you weren't stoned last night. All right? Uh, If you're pursuing God with all of your heart, okay, following Jesus is your number one priority in life. It's probably true that a couple of your friends are too. If the reality is that at this point or the season of your life that you're just kind of a mediocre Christian, sort of what Jesus would call lukewarm, it's sort of name only for you, chances are you've got a couple friends that that might be true of as well. We tend to be like our five closest friends because turns out your mom was right. You're going to end up being coming like who you run with. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Now, when you look at your list, what it does for me is it kind of begs a question, makes me want to ask something. And I think the question that it begs is this one. Who do you want to be? What kind of person do you want to become? You're not fully who you're going to be. And if your friends have a huge impact on your life, Donald Miller says, some some of us pay more attention to what we eat than we do to who we're eating with. And the reality is that the latter, who we're eating with, has a big, more dramatic impact on our lives. Who do you want to be? If you want to really be an emotionally healthy person, a person who's growing or becoming a leader, maybe you need to spend some time with that. And maybe if, it's someone, if you want to have a great marriage, maybe you need to have someone in your circle who's also working on that. If you want to be a good manager of money, you want to be generous, you want to be sacrificial, maybe you should ask yourself if you have anyone like that in your circle. If you feel like you're a negative person, maybe you should look at some people around you. If you want to be in better shape or care about your body and your temple and you're only spending time with people who eat burger cookies for breakfast every day, maybe that's part of the problem. And if you you look at the way you are spiritually, are you content with where you are? Would you hope to keep growing spiritually? Would you hope to find more adventure in your spiritual life? If so, you might want to consider who's on your list. So let's kind of think about friendship now from the biblical perspective as well. Flip over a couple pages in Proverbs to Proverbs 17. This is a pretty good working definition. Uh, I don't know if definition is the right word, but here's a good word about friendship. Ready? Proverbs 17, 17. You ready? A friend loves at all times. A true brother is born to help in a time of need. That's an that's a encouraging word about what a friend looks like. Someone who's there all the time. Someone who, man, if times get tough, there's adversity. They don't run out, they run in. And they're there especially when you need them the most. You know, John Machop, a friend of mine, he goes to Mountain here, and, you know, he said, Ben, you know, I hear so much, sometimes you hear people say, you know, I don't know what to do with that church, is so big, but he said, I have found, I've found the most depth relationships I've ever had in my life through this church, and I said, John, tell me about that, and so he did, and he said, there's a bunch of guys that he's met here at the church, and they've kind of come together now, and they've, they've become part of a small group, and he says, I feel like I finally have a band of brothers, He goes on to describe a time when Joe's father, one of the guys in the group, when Joe's father passed on, the entire group showed up at the service. And that's when I felt like we moved from just friends to real friends and family. Something about our group dynamic changed that night. We're no longer just a bunch of guys who enjoyed each other's company, but our bond grew deeper. And since then, we get together with our families and go to cookouts. We eat together. We talk together. Our relationships are stronger. we, We go to each other for prayer or with any concern at all. And I've had the sincere uh, a, a privilege of being in a relationship with a few guys that are so dear to my heart. I can call and text and email these guys at any time. And I do. They're there for me and I'm willing to be there for them. One of these guys recently asked me to speak over his son at his 16th birthday party. And this is something that touches me down to my soul. And I'm honored to be considered in that way. That's a kind of picture. When you hear that, of what that kind of friend at all times can be like, hopefully something rises up in you to say, yes. I was made for that, I need that, I want that in my life. Now here's the problem, is that that kind of friendship, the kind of friendship the Bible is describing, has got cancer in America today, it's got cancer in the world we live in, in our society, it's, it's declining, it's a crisis of friendship in America today. Today, there's all kinds of poverty in life. There's physical poverty. We're familiar with that, you know, in in developing countries and around where people don't have money and so forth. There's spiritual poverty. We've talked a lot about that. But, you know, there's a relational poverty as well where you might have a bunch of surface-level connections but no real-depth relationships. And we have a relational poverty. And it's increasing. And it's interesting. You know, my kids are going to be going with a youth group here to the Dominican Republic this summer And I can tell you what they and all those other kids are going to experience. They're going to have amazing experiences. I don't want to say I already know what's going to happen, but I can tell you something that is going to happen. And that is that they're all going to be blown away, first of all, by the devastation. Some of them are going to see a developing country for the first time. They're going to see how poor these people are, and they're going to be so heartbroken by that you are going to say, wow, these people are so poor. But at the same time, these may not be the words they'll use, but this is what they'll observe. They're going to say, but at the same time, they have so much joy and they love each other and they know God so well. They, so what they're observing is these people are spiritually rich. These people are relationally rich. They may be physically poor. And they're going to come home, and it may dawn on some of them that America is exactly the opposite. Because there's not a single person in this room, however poor you may think you are, you are nowhere near to their, spirit, to their physical poverty, and yet we live in a culture where we are increasingly poor spiritually and relationally. And the only problem with that is you can still be fully human if you're physically poor. But you can't be fully human and really know God and others with the other two. The American Sociological Review says the average American today has only two close friends, which is why some of you didn't do the exercise because it was too painful or awkward for you to do. Or maybe you're one of the 25%, fully one in four Americans who say, I have no true close friend. That's just hard. Not just socially awkward to, to acknowledge, but because it's bigger than that. So there's a decline of friendship, and there's a lot of reasons for that. You might have your own ideas about why. Why is there a decline of friendship in our culture? Well, I did some reading on it. No surprises really. Busyness is a big deal. It's a killer to relationships. When you're going too fast and your lives are too full, it kills relationships. You can't go 80 miles an hour and zoom past everybody and expect to have depth relationships. You've got to get in an Amish buggy and clop along a little bit once in a while and spend some time. Second reason sociologists point to is divorce rates. You know, when families split up, it's hard on relationships as well. You get this money, I get this money. You have the kids on this day, I get the kids on this day. Um, you get that friend, I get this friend. Sometimes it ends up actually driving wedges and it can, you know have a hard time on friendships. Mobility is another issue. We're moving around the country. We don't stay and grow up in the same town as much anymore as we used to. There's another another factor in the decline of friendships. Anybody want to guess what what I'm going to say? Anybody want to guess? Here's Here's what I think. See what you think. I think the rise of social media has had a big impact on friendship, which may sound weird. As David Kim says, more of us are digital natives, especially the millennials generation. And the more that we are technologically fluent, what we're finding is we're finding ourselves suffocating and saturated by fragmented and superficial relationships. Now, I'm not against social media. At Mountain, we we love the idea of trying to harness technology in every way we can. There's huge power in social media, and I hope you all follow me on uh, you know, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and sign up for Mountain's Facebook page and YouTube page and, and sign up for Ben's Notes and all of that. But I just, I'm trying to say, despite how good it can be, I think we all want to acknowledge it has had a profound impact on our lives in so many ways and it has had an impact on friendship. Don't, do you think that social, that social media has changed the way we do things? Anybody? Yeah, I, I promise you nobody 10 years ago picked up their phone and called every friend they knew to say, guess what I had for breakfast? It didn't happen. Okay, it's changing a lot of things. And I'll tell you, one of the ways that it's changing, experts are are recognizing, is that now, rather than experiencing more face-to-face, intimate, real-time relationships, where we tend to be more concerned, actually obsessed, some of us, with what our online image is. This projection of this thing we want people to think that we are, which, if you'll think about it, is the absolute worst thing you can actually do for a real relationship is actually pose like you're someone else and give them the sort of unrealistic one dimensional view of yourself. So we'll say something about ourselves in hundred and forty characters or give our opinion or our political thought or or something uh, on Facebook or we'll kind of talk about capture a moment, you know, get a selfie wait I didn't like that one. I didn't like that one either. No no I didn't like that one. Oh I like that one. Now we're gonna post that one. I'm going to post that one. And then, you know, if I don't like the color, I can enhance it or get a filter on there. My teeth look whiter, the sky look bluer, the grass look greener. I'm having such a great time with my pals at the beach or at this fancy restaurant at the ball game. Ha ha ha, it's my life. Here it is. And then you liked it. I got five likes in five minutes. Like, awesome. And we think that's connecting, and it's not. Now I'm poking fun at myself and everybody. Okay, so, all right. So we know we can stay in touch with friends that way and I love to do that too. I'm not down on all that. I hope you tweet everything I'm saying in the sermon. Okay, so. But we have to remember it has to supplement real friendship. It can't be a substitute for it. Does that make sense? You can't replace real face-to-face intimacy with Facebook and Snapchat. It doesn't work that way. Because whatever we think we're gaining in breath, I've got 400 friends on Facebook now. 400 friends. It's like, whatever you gain in breath, you're losing in depth. So, some of us are starting to wonder, despite how awesome it can be and helpful and powerful as a tool, maybe social media is leaving us maybe just craving the very thing that we thought it was going to get us in the first place, which is intimate, personal depth in my relationship. So remember, it has to supplement, not substitute. So let's get some help today. Uh, To try to maybe heal some friendships, to try to be better friends and find better friends and build friendships and recover the lost art of friendship and move it from essentially just sort of PR, public relations, to PR, personal relationships. How do we do that? Well, let me give you a P and an R to do that. Okay, and first let me start with a P. And I just want to say, this is so, so, so important. I want to beg you and me and everyone I know to take this to heart about how important it really is to build and bless real friendships. Here it is. Here's the P. We've got to be present. Be present. Be fully present with people. I love what Craig Rochelle says here. He says, you know, we all need to make a commitment to say, I'm going to develop my friendships primarily face-to-face, not thumb-to-thumb. I love that I'm gonna invest in my friendships, so I'm building them primarily face-to-face not thumb-to-thumb finger-to-finger okay because face-to-face presence still matters being with someone is always gonna matter and no amount of technology is ever gonna change that ever think about think about just the truth of the universe right And think about how Jesus comes to us John chapter 1 verse 14 right Here's here's the eternal preexistent word, Jesus, who what does he do? He becomes flesh. He becomes human. He comes to be with us. He made his home among us, pitched his tent right here, full of grace and truth, and so we could now see his glory. Wow. He didn't delegate being human, you know? He, he didn't send a text. He came in person. And when he calls his disciples, what does he do? He doesn't say, Here's a book on my teaching, go read it. In Mark, Mark, Mark chapter 3, Jesus goes up on the mountainside and he calls those he wanted and they came to him. Right? And then what? He appointed 12 that they might be with him. Yeah, I've got to send you out, but first you've got to be with me. And so being with him meant they hung out, they would journey together, they camped out together, get up in the morning and, and uh, instead of sending a picture of their breakfast, they ate breakfast together. And they hung out and they figured out who the weird ones were and the introverts and the extroverts and all that. And, they just, and it was like his, the only, he was saying, the only way I can share the love of the Father with you before you go is, is by being with you. And I think it's still true. That's how love passes. Can we be present with each other? Does anybody feel like this is important? I know parents are like, preach it, man. Tell my kid to put his dang phone down. Well, I found something in, re- in the research this week. It was interesting. On the whole, generally speaking, children are more dissatisfied with their parents' obsession with technology than parents are dissatisfied with their kids' obsession. It doesn't mean that parents are using it more, but it, it's a reminder that kids want our attention, parents. They really do. It's like, just a second, honey. Mommy's changing the world with my Pinterest recipe here. It's like, yeah, yeah, you know, can we just... Can we just... Presents... Kids need us to be available. Ever, ever go into a restaurant, you look at a booth and there's four pathetic people that you probably are a family all doing this. You just want to go over and smack them all. What are you doing? We're, 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 we have one life and we're going to spend it checking email from someone else who's not even at the table. Here's the rule. I'm going to make an edict for the whole world. This is an edict now, so write this down because everyone has to do this from now on. Everyone in the world. If you're in the world, you've got to do this. Here it is. I mean it. I'm dead serious. Here's the rule. If someone is in the car, physically present in the car, that person in that moment is more important than someone who is not in the car on the other end of your thumbs. Okay? That's the rule. If someone is at the table, they're physically there, that person, that re- if they're a real human being, and you know, if they're not a real human being, it doesn't apply, but if they're a real human being, they are more important than someone who's not there at that moment and that needs to be acknowledged in the way we act. Yes? Okay. Kids, when you get in the car and the first thing you do is this, and that's all you do the whole way, and talk to some friend and say, "Wow, cool, huh?" Hey, babe, what? Way? You know, you're just going back and forth and back, but you're saying, but you're not speaking to the person who's driving. That's, you know, what? You don't know this. It's really rude. It's really rude, and it's relationally deficient, and it's going to hurt you. So don't do it all the time, mom and dad. When you got that little cool thing and your thing and the hands-free, and you're yakking about something while your kids are in the back seat, if that's all you do all the time, that's just dumb. And we're missing it. We're missing it. It's, if, if, if Jesus can come from heaven and to come to earth and become a human to be fully present, maybe we can put our phones down at the dinner table and in and, and the car talk to each other once in a while. What do you think? Oh, yeah. I think we can do it. Okay, all right. That's the new rule. <laughs> Presence for Jesus was important. It's important for all relationships. Hebrews 10 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promises faithful. How do we hold on to it? It says, Hey, you know what? We've got to help each other. Verse 24 says, Well, consider how we can really spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We've got to encourage each other, make our friendships um, really encourage each other to love God and love people and serve the world. Well, the next verse even says how to do that. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more. That word for meeting together literally means a physical gathering for a spiritual purpose. So I know some will think it's fine just to send a text or an email or a note, but let's not give up the idea of physical presence for a spiritual purpose to encourage one another. There's power in presence. Power in presence. You know, one of the problems with preachers, there's a lot of problems with preachers, but we always think you've got to have words for things. And so you always got to open your mouth and flap your gums and have answers for everything, you know, solve all the problems, give, help people through things and everything. I'll never forget... Uh, The first time I was called as a very young pastor, a youth pastor, in fact, at the time, to a hospital, a senior pastor was out of town. And it was a woman who had just learned that her husband died. He had shot himself. And I liked him, and I really loved this woman. She was I just cared for this couple, and I, I didn't have anything to say. I didn't have a mouthful of words at all. I was so stunned and shocked and sad and overwhelmed. I was in over my head. I didn't know what to do. I just went to the hospital. We were in this little room. We just sat there. She sat down I sat down. Held her hand. Stunned. Silent. And she started to cry. I couldn't help it. I just started to cry. The ugly cry. Snot cry. Ugly, dumb cry. I didn't say anything. And the doctor came in and got her and they went somewhere. And I remember walking to my car going, Man, I suck as a pastor. It was a bad day. But you know what? Months later, when she was in a different place. I overheard her and she said it for my benefit as she was talking to someone else she said and you know Ben came that day and you know when he started to cry strangely I felt like God was crying with me and that helped me to know he cared and hurt too and everything he said was perfect now I know I hadn't said a thing (laughs) but the power of presence is incredible isn't it it doesn't have to be always so dramatic Sometimes it's just showing up at a kid's game or going to a play or, or showing up at a home or dropping something off or doing something together, spending time, giving full attention, dropping the newspaper, stepping away from the video game, whatever it is, what relationship needs you to be more present? Second thing, second thing that's the P, present, R. The R in personal relationships is to be real. Just be real. We talk about this a lot around here, but we're just talking about being open and fighting through our fear of vulnerability in order to be transparent enough so that a real connection can happen instead of just a uh, phony one on the surface level. Our culture is more and more afraid of real personal interaction. It's why when I call you on your cell, you don't answer. You let it go to voicemail because then you can just text me back and you're in control because you can't control the conversation if we're actually talking because we're afraid of that and we don't do that anymore. So... By stark contrast, you go to the Scriptures and it describes this people coming together and being real with each other and real before God. And, and it's scary. See if this doesn't scare you or challenge you. Listen to this in stark contrast. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. You're going to tell me what you need to be healed from, are you? You're going to confess your sins to me? Not if we don't have a real relationship. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You want that power in your life? Or would we rather just settle for surface level? Most of us are saying surface level. So we've got to be real. If you can't say to somebody, I'm struggling with my anger. I went off on my kids. My marriage is in the tank. One author says it this way. We may impress people with our strengths, but we connect with them through our weaknesses. We, connect, we, we, we impress people with our strengths, but we really connect with them through our weaknesses. And so some of us, we just have to decide, which do we really prefer? To impress people with our strengths and, all, and never show any openness toward what's really going on with our love handles? And miss out? Or do you want to actually connect in the way God designed you to? And if we're going to do that, then we've got to be able to say, man, here's, a, here's something I'm wrestling with. Here's a doubt I have. Here's a frustration I'm feeling. Here's a fear I have. Here's a temptation I'm, I, I succumb to sometimes. And others hear it and they say, wow, me too. And trust begins to grow and you've got the beginnings of a relationship. You invite God into that and it's a beautiful mix. You remember my friend John Richaffi I told you about? We asked him, we said, John, what, what do you think friendship really is for you at this stage in your life? He said, for me, if it's authentic friendship, it's being transparent with another man. Someone who's there just to, to, to listen is more valuable than, than you can ever understand. He says, now the risk is you can get hurt because you're talking about shortcomings in marriage and children and work and that kind of stuff. You've got to be humble, can't be prideful. But not having intimate relationships like that, you lose out. And you'll never know what it feels like to be open and honest. Because you always have to keep up your pride and pretend you have all the answers, act like we don't need help. And then when issues really arise, and they will, we feel so alone and we missed out on the blessing of friendship that we're made for. So if you're hesitant toward opening up, he says, I would say that remember God already knows you. He knows everything about us. And when you let even one other person in on that truth, it lightens the load and brightens your life. And this transparency has led in our group, others to be more transparent and it's leading to deep, really satisfying, meaningful relationships. Friends, I hope when you hear that, you just go, yes, we got to be more real and more open. So evaluate your little list. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Does it need more openness? Does it need more realness? Does it need more presence? Who do you want to be? Show me your friends. Now, the truth is... uh, Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. So let's talk for a few minutes that remain about some of the friends in our circle. And let me suggest to you some things that I actually heard someone else talk about a while back and kind of adapted it and I want to share it with you because I thought it was so helpful to me about that circle of friends and how to build it. Let me, let me give you a couple of friends that everybody needs to have in their life. I don't know who's on your card right now, who might need to get kicked off that list, who might need to be brought in. So you can become the person that really you're being invited to be by God. And to do that, I want to go back to a guy named David in the Bible because he had some amazing friends and he becomes this amazing guy, but David would never have become who he was and is in our memory without God sending certain people into his life. Do you understand how that works? You don't become who you are going to become on your own. You become one way or the other because of people in your life yes yes let me tell you about David because I'm gonna give you three friends that everybody needs number one everybody needs a Samuel in your life a Samuel is someone who makes you better someone someone who makes you better than than you you would be if if they weren't in your life let me give you the background here okay so King Saul was the king, but God, uh, for various reasons, had rejected Saul. Now and removed His spirit from Saul, and He's He's going to anoint a new king. And so He He sends a message to His prophet named Samuel and says, Samuel, you're going to go and anoint this next king. So Samuel goes to the house of Jesse, who has all these sons stair-stepped like this. And, and, and uh, so Samuel goes there, he's looking for the new king, going to anoint the new king. He sees these sons line up, and then one, the first one's very tall and handsome and strong, and he goes, surely this is the one God's chosen to be the next king. And God says, nope, not the one. He goes to the next one, how about this one? Surely this is the one. Nope, not the one. And they go all the way through the line like that. And finally, Samuel's like, okay, God, what's up? And God, look, look at this, First Samuel 16, verse 7. The Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. Don't only really look there, for I've rejected that one. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks where? At the heart. Everybody needs a friend who will look at you the same way at the heart level. And what God saw was the youngest little brother, the runt of the clan, who wasn't even in the lineup because he's still out playing with the sheep in the field. His name was David and no one else saw him. But God did and... That's who he wanted and he put it on Samuel's heart. And so look at there at verse uh, verse 12. So they sent for David, brought him in. He was this glowing, good-looking kid, fine appearance, handsome features. And the Lord said, rise and anoint him. That's the one I want. Now here's what I want to draw your attention to. Nobody else saw in David what God saw in David except Samuel. And Samuel became the kind of friend that David Needed most in his life. Samuel looks at David and says, God's going to do great things in your life. You're going to become something great because of God. And it changed his destiny. He called him out. He called him up. You can do more. You can do better. You need someone in your life like that it will do the same thing. To be able to say, I'm not looking at the outward appearance that everyone else may be looking at, but I see something in you, and you can do, you can, God wants to do so much in your life. You need someone like that who will speak into you that way to believe in you and make you better than you could be on your own. You got someone like that? Someone who fulfills what Proverbs 27 is talking about when it says, as iron sharpens iron, one friend sharpens another. If your circle of friends or your life is dull in this aspect, it's because maybe there could be someone like a Samuel in your life. That's why we do small groups at Mountain. It's why we are a relationally based church. So we can get people in our lives who can do that for us. Every one of us needs a Samuel. Second, we all need a Jonathan. We all need a Jonathan in our lives. A Jonathan is someone who really helps you spiritually. Helps you find your spiritual strength. We all need that. I don't care who you are. We can't do this God thing alone. We're not meant to. We need help. We've got enough people trying to pull us off the path, adding to our burden, telling it's not important to walk toward God. We need some people that are going to help us on the journey and help us find our spiritual strength. We need that. In David's story, he's the one who's anointed. He's sort of the king in waiting. But in the meantime, he becomes sort of a war hero and a famous celebrity. And all the ladies start to notice him and think he's cute. And they start to sing these songs about how, you know, Saul has killed thousands. He's awesome. But you know what? David's killed ten thousands; He's Superman. And Saul hears this. It makes him really mad and jealous. He says, I'm going to kill that punk. He's coming after my throne. And so he goes out trying to kill him. Pick, pick, pick up 1 Samuel 23, verse 15. David's hiding out in Horish in the desert in Ziph, and he learns that King Saul now who he wants to serve and be loyal to, is coming out to kill him, to take his life. He's very discouraged. He says, this is not the way my life's supposed to go. And guess what? Verse 16, Saul's son, Jonathan, who was a very good friend to David, went to, he gets on a plane and he goes to David and he flies all the way out there to Horush in the middle of nowhere and he helped him find his strength in God. Don't be afraid, David, he said. My father Saul's not going to lay a hand on you. You are going to be king over Israel and I'm going to be right there with you. And even my father Saul knows this. And the two of them made a covenant Before the Lord. That's a good friendship right there. You make a covenant together with the Lord. And then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horush, And when he remained, he was not the same man. I promise you that. See, Jonathan went to him. He went out of his way. Reminded him of the truths of what God was saying and he helped him spiritually. Look at verse 16 again. Saul's son Jonathan went to David and he helped him find his strength in God. That's a great verse. Every single one of us needs someone who will do that for us to help you find your strength in God. I don't care how mature you are, if you're a brand new Christian or you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, you're going to be tempted, you're going to get down. When everyone goes out, you need someone who's going to come in and say, I'm here for you. I'm with you and God hasn't abandoned you and here's what's going on or let me pray with you. Here's a scripture for you. I I love you in the Lord and find some way to help encourage you as you find your own strength in the Lord. Do you have someone like that in your life? You know, um, (laughs) there's a a young gal in our church. What's her name? Where'd she go? Here she is. Allie and Lindsay. Lindsay wrote me. You know, I love this. People just write me sometimes out of nowhere. Lindsay writes me and says, I know you're talking about friendship. I just got to tell you my story. And Lindsay writes me and she says, you know, I'm a very anxious person. I've always been that way. And honestly, I was kind of a casual Christian. He says, when I needed God, I needed Him. Otherwise, I didn't want to be bothered. She says, get this. She says, until Allie... My friend Allie is an incredible human being. Her her faith in God has always been something I admired and even envied. And one day, Allie invited me to Mountain. I didn't have anything else going on that day, so I thought, why not? I had no idea that day would change my life. The message was about prayer. You said it was a real conversation with the real God. And it's safe to say that message struck me. I was hooked. I went home curious and I began to read my Bible every day and attend services with Allie every weekend. Our friendship also grew and it really changed. We began speaking every day. We sent each other Bible verses. We, we gave other inspirational quotes to each other from, from Scripture. We, we started to confide in each other about our daily struggles and our faith and we prayed for each other every night. Allie taught me to pray when I'm anxious and literally gave, give my worries to God. And then something amazing happened. Here I got a picture of these girls. Put a picture of those, those girls on the screen. Here they are. On my birthday, Allie and I started the day by creating a Thank Jesus jar. We took an empty jar, we prayed on it, and then we vowed to put one positive thing in it every single day that we're thankful for. And it was the best way to start my birthday and a great reminder of all that Jesus does for us. I am so happy to say that Allie and I are also going to be attending our first Bible study at Mountain this summer, and we're looking forward to growing even more in our faith together. Get this, I have never had a friendship where God was at the center, and I cannot put into words how wonderful it is. It's Simply put, it's a blessing, and I'm thankful for the amazing church that allows Allie and I to grow in our faith together in our relationship like that. Way to go, Alice! She found a Jonathan, didn't she? And you can too. You can too. Someone who will strengthen you in your faith, pick you up when you're down. Seriously dedicated Christian. Someone who's there for you who's going to make you better spiritually. Every one of us needs a Samuel who will make you better. You need a Jonathan who's going to help you spiritually. And we all need a Nathan. Okay? We need a Nathan. A Nathan is someone who loves you enough to tell you the truth. They tell you the truth in love. We all need that. Remember back to the story of David. If you remember, David was a man after God's own heart, uh, but he took his eye off the Lord and he put his eye on a woman named Bathsheba. He committed adultery with her and it broke the heart of God. He killed the woman's husband and it was just a terrible thing. It put the kingdom at great risk. And David missed the whole gravity of the situation. He was just skating through, forgetting about it. And so God sent a friend named Nathan, who was a prophet, to go to David to tell him the truth. And it's a hard thing when you tell someone the truth. You've got to sometimes... Have a relationship there, and they did. Can't just come out with it and hammer him over the head. So he told him a story. He says, David, i got a story for you. There was a guy who had a whole bunch of money and a whole bunch of animals and sheep coming out of his ears. And then there was another guy who only had one little baby sheep. It was like a family pet to him. He loved it so much. He was very poor. A neighbor, a traveler, came through town, and to entertain him, the, the rich man didn't want to kill any of his own sheep, so he went over, he stole the one sheep from the little guy, slaughtered it, and fed it to the guest. King David heard that and he said, that's, that's, that's the worst thing I've ever heard. That guy ought to be put down. And then Nathan looked right at David and said, David, you are that man. That's exactly what you did when you stole Bathsheba from that man. And it convicted him to his heart. And it got through behind his defenses. And he received that word. And it broke his heart before God and he repented before God and he did his best to get back on track and make amends in every way he could. And every one of us needs someone who will help us that way because all of us get led astray. All of us don't, we don't see truth and reality accurately all the time. We, and that's why God gives us each other. When's the last time you had a friend who loved you enough to say, I wouldn't go there if I were you or that was a stupid thing you said? That's hurting your witness, your testimony when you say that or do that or act that way. You're going to hurt your marriage if you keep that up. Hey, I see something in you that I don't know if you see. You're, 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 you're cutting yourself short. You need to do more with that because that's really powerful. Tell you the truth about you because you love it. I've had so many people through the years that have pulled me aside to tell me these things. I had one today. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Everything from, you know, your procrastination hurts the whole team to, you know, when you don't have eye contact with me when I talk, it really ticks me off. You're always looking at the person behind me. I'm like, what would you say? Repeat that again. Yeah. This is what the Bible talks about when, when it says, Speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4. Speak the truth in love. Not just truth, hit you hard over the head and then walk away, someone who doesn't care about you. Not someone who just pretends they love you so much that they never actually tell you the truth, but truth in love like Nathan did. You got anybody who does that for you? Because if you don't, you really need that in your circle. What does it say about your circle if you don't have anybody like that? And if you don't have anyone like that, you're probably not like that either. So. Who do you want to become? Who do you want to be? Show me your friends. I'll show you your future. You need, you need a Samuel who will make you better. You need a Jonathan who will help you spiritually. You need a Nathan. You need a Nathan who will tell you the truth in love. What kind of friend do you need to be? What kind of friends do you need to have around you? Think about the circle of friends that you have. You know, we're getting ready for uh, a moment together that we're going to share as friends with the God of the universe now who comes to us and through Jesus, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, He says, I can call you friend. The God of the universe says, I want to call you my friend. Yes, I'll be your king and your Lord. When you place your faith in me and you trust in me and we begin a relationship, we're now friends. We're going to share in communion right now together and all who are his friends in Christ are invited to do that. So at all our campuses, if you're going to help us with those emblems, if you'd go get ready and be prepared to, to bring that at this time. I just want to make it clear. If we, if we get all this relational stuff right, you know, you, uh, you're more present and you listen and you tell the truth or you have a friend in your life who, who encourages you to be better. But if we do all that right and we don't get the one most important relationship right, we're still going to get to the end of our life and realize we missed it. And the most important relationship I suggest to you with the strongest possible way I know how to do it, your most important relationship is with Jesus Christ. This one who has demonstrated that He's a friend to you. No greater love is anyone than this than a man would lay down his life for his friends and He's done that for you. And if you don't have that relationship with Jesus right, let me just tell you, it's going to be harder for you to have all your other relationships right. You get the relationship with Jesus right, not only does it get you right and give you an eternal friendship that will never end, it allows you to grow and become the kind of person that all your friends need you to be. Jesus changes us. And we can have and be the kind of friends that we're called to be. So if you've never made that decision for Christ, make it right now during communion. After the service today, come on up here and talk to someone and we'll help you as you maybe just want to pray a prayer to say, I I want to get started on this. You know what? Today at 4 o'clock, right out here in the parking lot here at Mountain Road, we have a beautiful swimming pool set up. And if you've not been baptized, I hope you'll join me in that baptistry. You come with a pair of shorts and a t-shirt and we'll get wet together and you'll celebrate the beginning of your new life in Christ. If you're ready to have the old washed away and start brand new with Jesus, come for the baptism splash today. We'd love to welcome you because Jesus is the kind of friend that we all really, really need and want the most. The Bible has all these one another's in it. It talks about love one another, forgive one another, bear with one another, encourage one another. Sixty of them, some in the New Testament alone. It turns out that all these things that we're encouraged to do and be as friends with each other, are nothing other than just reflections of what God has already done for us. As you come to communion today, just know that you're coming before a Jesus who loves you, who's forgiven you, who's bo- who bears with you, who encourages your spirit, and He's here to meet you and says, I've called you my friend. Let's pray together. God, we thank You so much for Your love and Your welcome around this table. And we come humbly as people who don't deserve to be Your friends, but we, You've called us friend. And you've demonstrated it by giving your very life. We thank you for your sacrificial death. And now we say, Lord, we want to be your friend and act like it too. So we offer ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.